The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James, and if my voice sounds stunned and surprised that I'm behind a microphone, it's not that. It's the fact that I still cannot get over that Fulham have won a football match away from home against quite a good team in the championship, 7-0. It still sounds mad. Hello, welcome to the show, brought to you by The Athletic UK. And yeah, there's only one topic of conversation today. How on earth we have won a football match by seven goals, only one short of our record away league win back in 1969. A remarkable evening for the 400 Fulham fans that went to Blackburn. I'm sad that I can't say I was there, but I'm sure if you were then you will hold on to that one for a long, long time. But it was still memorable wherever you watched it in the world. And I'm here to dissect everything that happened at Ewood Park with Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. An extra guest to the Thursday Club today, Don Betts. Hello, Don. Hello, hello. How are you doing? Fine, thank you. And of course, Peter Rutzler. Hello. Yes. Hello. Sorry. <laughs> it's just, it just came into my mind that we, uh, I watched nine home goals last season. We just saw seven in one evening away from home. So, um, hello. <laughs> that was just like a weird Peter got really excited moment. I did, there. I did. Yeah, but there was that stat that in that yellow shirt last season, we scored eight goals. And then we scored seven in it last night. It's going to be good value if we score more as it with it as our third kit than we did with our away kit last season because we must have played in that kit about twelve times. I reckon we got maybe three three goes in it this time round, and uh, and I fancy us. I mean, what an evening. Um, and plenty of goal scorers on the score sheet as well. Uh, Alexander Mitrovic with just one last night. I reckon. Do you reckon he went to bed last night? Just a bit annoyed. Bit bit annoyed like yeah it was seven although if you just saw his little dance with Rodrigo Muniz at the end he certainly didn't look it all right let's do some three word reviews from last night's game we normally get the most amount of three word reviews when we've lost a match I think yesterday was an exception to the rule when we scored seven um Jack what were the best ones that came in 229 responses on Twitter alone so um, so yeah there was a lot I mean there's a clear winner which I, I think I'm going to start with because it was so good that people started replying to it saying stop the count and things like that so <laughs> Andrew Towner's Rover and Route I thought was absolutely exceptional but Stunning. there were there's some really good ones Chris DeMarquis with seven deadly knee skins um, which I thought was was very clever yeah. there was also Alex Purepower with seven deadly finishes uh, we had PFFC 11 with Parker, we're coming. Uh, John O'Farrell, I enjoyed not enough goals, um, which was just fun. Uh, Alistair Nimmo with what I would call stretching the, uh, the the game. Blackburn, baby, burn, Mitro, Inferno. Um, but he has put dashes between the burn, baby, burn. So I give him the benefit of the doubt on this one. And uh, we got two in the DMs as well. One... Uh, which I thought was really good from Augie Lamchik, who said, three-word review, smiling with braces, which I thought was really clever. Enjoyed that a lot. Um, and Nick Silver's been trying to get us to read this out for about six weeks. So he was like, anytime Cabano, please, Clays, can you call a podcast Niskin's Godbano? Um, which we're not going to do, um, but it was a good impression. And I thought we'd give Nick a shout out because he went back into the DMs yesterday to be like, what about now? Um, which I thought was fair enough. So yeah, but I mean, clear winner, Rover and Rav. It's absolutely different gravy. Well played. Yeah, there was also one that I quite enjoyed, which was uh, Stairway to Seven, Thomas Ryland Jenkins as nice. well, which uh, which caught my eye. Obviously, there was lots of seven and heaven puns last night. There's there's rules of football. If you win by five goals, it's got to be a five-star performance, hasn't it? And whenever you get seven, you have to mention heaven as well. I like it's it, just... Whenever you get seven, like that's a really regular occurrence. Yeah, all the time. I mean, it's literally never happened in... I think our lifetimes. I think the last time it may have happened was in 93 in the Autoglass Trophy uh, against um, Swansea, I believe, is the last time we've we've managed to score seven away in a match. Uh, it's not in my lifetime. I don't think it's going to be in Dom's or Peter's either. So you're the <laughs> eldest of us, Sammy. And if it's not in your lifetime, it's not in ours. 
Yeah. And there's so many great stats that I will just keep kind of like salt baying during the show. Um, but let's get on to the match. Peter, what an extraordinary night up in Lancashire. This was a team that were playoff chasing that I don't think had lost a game by more than a single goal going into last night. They had a goal difference of plus seven going into the game yesterday. That was wiped out by the 90th minute. I I mean, the red card made a difference. Of course it did, but Fulham were well in control before that happened. Yeah, I mean, obviously the red card did change things. It was a really odd red card that I'm sure we'll we'll talk about in a bit more detail, but it was just the way that Fulham just kept coming at Blackburn afterwards. Um, It would have been really easy for Marco Silva to have just just gone right, sod it. Let's let's rest our big guns because even at two 0 after that red card, it, it did feel kind of done. Um, but then they, the way the team came out in the second half, they came out with real purpose to actually try and inflict some severe damage on the home team, and and that's what they did. Um, they stretched the play very well. Um, I think Blackburn were a bit naive in the way they set up coming coming out after the break. Um, they, they they were trying to still play. I think they played with two up top, um, and you know Fulham punished them for that. But then they dropped deeper, and, and and that made no difference really. Once their heads had gone, it was just it was just pummeling after pummeling, you know, throwing the towel kind of stuff. And um, you know, and it has to be credit to Fulham for doing that, you know, to to actually keep going. And we we keep seeing it, you know, once. Once Fulham get ahead in games, once they've got that margin, they they will just run away. They will just steamroll the sides. And um, I mean, you can go through the whole team and and, and find praise for the performance, um, but uh, it's 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 one of those results. It's a real statement because, as you say, Sammy, they're they're, they're not a bad team, but, we've, but Fulham have gone there and inflicted their Blackburn's worst ever home league defeat, <laughs> which is just mental. Uh, even with the with the ten men, like to still do that is pretty extraordinary, and um, it's one of those results that can really <laughs> set things apart. And I, we keep looking at these next games, thinking, "Oh, is it going to stumble?" But the bar keeps getting raised uh, week after week at this point. Dom, look, you're someone that has been home and away to watch Fulham for years, maybe bordering on a decade, I would argue. Um, You've watched some really bad away games in that time. You've probably seen more nil-nils away in the northeast than you care to admit. Um, Here's some stats from Michael Cox that I really enjoyed. He sent me this this morning. At 5.37, he's either uh, works very early or maybe has a young kid. I think maybe a combination of both, but um, very early to be sending me these stats. And I'm pretty sure he lives in the UK. He said, in March 1999, we won 4-0 in the league away at Luton. Between then and the start of this season, we had 854 away league games and we had won none by a four-plus margin. This season under Silver, we have won three already by that total. It just, it says everything. And there's a couple in there that we, ne- you know, Birmingham was nearly a four goal. It was a consolation goal to make it 4-1. So that could have been four very, very easily. We are watching something special this year. I don't care. We just are watching something very, very special. Yeah, I mean, if we're well, we're just into November, and we've I've seen us score four goals away from home. What was it, four or five times now? Which yeah. is, if, and I mean, I don't even know. I've seen I've probably 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 seen Fulham score four goals away from home in the last ten years, probably even once or twice before this season. It's just, it's nice that because under previous managers, especially under Scott Parker, you sort of once we've sort of went into the league, he sort of he'd sit back and he'd be happy with the result. You know, he'd bring on a couple of defenders and try and keep the lead. But Marco Silva's doing it. I haven't listened back to his TV interview, but he was saying that when when someone gets when, when someone gets sent off, it's, it's something along the lines, it's disrespectful to take, take the foot off the gas and sort of passing it around. And he didn't do that. We were constantly looking for more goals last night, especially in the second half. I think once we got that third goal in the second half, it was like, Right, let's re- let's really go for this now. And I mean, scoring forty three goals in sixteen games and averaging nearly three goals a game is, is quite ridiculous. And yeah, I think Mike got those stats because I think his his he start as you say he starts work early and his little kid Charlie's probably keeping him up. So he's accumulated the, the best Fulham stats for this win as you can. But yeah, it was just it was just it was just remarkable. And every time we went forward, we looked like scoring a goal. I mean, the wide players in Cabano and Wilson last night I think were, were excellent. You know, Bobby Reed did really well for the first goal, and it was it's just and. I've obviously been singing Nisan Spano's praises ever since he joined the football club and I, I don't think he's ever been given a run of a team. He's been given a run in a team and this is, what he, this is what he can do when he gets his opportunity. So, yeah, it's great It's great to see he's just scoring this many goals this season. I mean, 
I think we, I think Mitrovic has scored more goals in like probably a lot of clubs in, in the championship. I think yeah, has. you could you could probably combine three teams' goal tallies together, and it probably wouldn't even even reach ours. So yeah, I, I would say to any Fulham fan this season, just get to as many games as you can because it's been an absolute delight so far. Yeah, I think we've scored more away goals than uh, like about half the division as well. As I said, the stats will just keep on coming. Um, Jack, we'll we'll start um, with goal number one. Uh, a lovely um, bit of work by... I don't think we can go through every goal in detail. We will genuinely be here yeah, all night. Yeah. But the first goal set us on our way. I think it was great work from Bobby Decadovery. Slightly suspect defending, particularly from former Fulham man Tai Uedan, who who let Bobby go past him. Agent Tyre. Yeah, maybe. A little bit too softly. And then the pullback to Neeskins. I have to make a formal apology that on Sunday's podcast, I said that Neeskins couldn't finish. Or I, I think my words were, if he could finish, we'd have the Ballon d'Or winner on our hand. Well, someone better get polishing that trophy because the man's learned how to finish. Yeah, I mean, it's a really, really good, it's a really good strike. And and you're right, it, it's really good work from Bobby Reid. And he, he dances around. And look, we were talking about Bobby Reid and what he brings to the party, what he brings to the table here in terms of being able to do something that's a little bit different, right? And, you know, we've seen a lot of people step into that role. We've talked about Kearney in that 10 role. We've talked about him moving deeper. We've talked about Carvalho. And obviously, I'm sure we'll get on to the, the furore surrounding him at some point. But... You know, Bobby Reed has quietly stepped into that role, and there was talk of Harry Wilson doing it. We've seen how much more effective he is wide, um, and and then I think Bobby has taken that grasp with both hands. He's enjoying the kind of double agent life, if you will, of playing close to Metro at times and and kind of using that second striker ability that we saw a little bit at Bristol City. And then also being able to drop back into the eight role when he's needed and, and kind of make that into a five in the middle to solidify things when when it's getting a bit tough and. He's the perfect player for that. And we've talked about his versatility before, right? We've called him the Swiss Army knife for, for God knows how long at this point. And I think that while, we're seeing, while we've said that at times that versatility goes against him because it means that he can shift around the park and do a job in various positions and it means he doesn't always get his you know, first look in the team, at the moment he's a nailed-on starter, right? And, and at the moment you can't look to anyone else in that position because of just how well he's playing in that role. Being able to, to put that defensive shift in in terms of work rate and we've seen how good he is you know, working out from the back, even playing as a right wing back, but also having the nous to be in and around the opposition box, be alive in those scenarios and to finish. It's just a, a complete player I think we're seeing develop here. You know, at this level, at the very least, whether that can step up and go further, I don't know. Um, I think we saw him play brilliantly in certain roles in the Premier League last year. Is he a Premier League number 10? I, I mean, I don't think we need to find that out right now. I think Bobby Reid is a player who can play in the Premier League. Whether he can play in this position or not is a, you know, a slower, slower question for another day. But ultimately, we're seeing a player who is in, thriving in a role that allows him to combine the best of both of his worlds. And at the moment, you know, it's just a joy to watch him play football. Yeah, I mean, I enjoyed Bobby Reed's reaction to um, both of Wilson's goals because I think he felt like he was in a goal-scoring position. He was about to go livid at Wilson both times and then kind of was about to get angry and then went, oh, she's he scored it. I better, better go along and, and celebrate and <laughs> look like I'm happy. Um, second goal, Peter Mitrovic header was so basic. So, so basic. Um, Sky last night was saying that it was seemed a bit of a weird decision from Blackburn to, to have Lenahan marking Mitrovic. It seemed like a complete mismatch and they had their best header of the ball, Bradley Johnson marking Tim Ream and it was hard to disagree with the analysis, really completely mental to not put your best header of the ball on Mitrovic because even your best header of the ball would struggle. Yeah, naive really. I mean, that goal for me was all about the delivery. Um, we talked about Fulham set play takers you know, Wilson Cabano and, and Jean-Michel Serri, I mean, the whip he's got on that ball, I mean, it makes it makes it not easy for Mitrovic because he's had to muscle out the space. But in terms of the kind of service you want, I mean, it's a dream. It's literally dropped on its head. He's six yards out. It's gone so quickly. The keeper can't really do that much about it. Um, uh, and again, you know, after, after the game, Silver, Silver said, you know, we, we want to, you know, the goals to spread through the team and we, we want our central defenders to start scoring from set pieces. Like, we just scored seven, man. It's, you're scoring enough already. Um, but that, that's, that's the, the standard, I think. And that, that really does come across where every detail matters. 
you know, we talked about the NBA corners before, but that's just one routine. I mean, when you watch Fulham, they have so many that they cycle through short, long, um, far post, near post, or drop it on Mitrovic's head in the six yard box if, if Blackburn want to defend like that. So, um, and, and that, those, those goals make a difference. We talked about early set piece goals, early goals. And I did feel in that first 15 minutes, it was really almost business-like from Fulham. Um, we, we know they start quickly, but it felt very efficient. It felt very tidy. And Blackburn had like a decent little spell at the start. And then after that, it was like, right, we're the better team here. This is our game. You can come and watch if you want. Um, and, and that's how it went. And then there was that period afterwards where Blackburn rallied. And, and, and that's where you, you, you get the traditional sort of Fulham malaise that occurs. And then, then obviously they shot themselves in the foot. But that start was, was really impressive. Yeah, let's come on to the moment where they shot themselves in the foot, Dom. Um, Van Heck for Blackburn with maybe the bizarrest challenge I've ever seen. Why are you going for that with your foot? I mean, if you're going to go for it with your foot, you better connect. I mean, it was lucky that Harris, Harry um, Wilson's head wasn't actually in the way of the foot. Otherwise, I genuinely think he may have been decapitated um, for, from that challenge. Uh, I, I couldn't quite get my head around the fact that the Blackburn Rovers fans were booing it. I was like, lads, that's, the, that's, the, that's nearly an assault, Dom. It was quite remarkable and it just handed Fulham this opportunity from what could have been maybe three, four goals in total, maybe even could have been a Blackburn comeback if uh, if we'd have got things massively wrong. It just meant that it was all academic after that point. It was a question of how many Fulham would score, not whether we'd win or not. Yeah, I mean, if we were complete control even before the red card and the red card sort of not ended the game in such, but it sort of killed any sort of chance I think Blackburn was going to have. Weirdly enough, you say on the TV, obviously you can clearly see it's a awful challenge in the red card, but from where the away end was, like you could see obviously what kind of happened because obviously it, 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 we were sort of so low down. It wasn't like we were surprised it was a red card, but it didn't look in the moment as stone walls it was. Like if you were maybe like further up the stand or obviously where Peter was or watching on TV, but obviously then when you, when you watch it, when you're watching it back on your phone at half time, you're like, yeah, it's the most stone red card. I don't really know what Van Eck's trying to do. <laughs> like, I just, I just don't know why he doesn't, you know, it's not like Wilson sort of, they're, had to run through on goal or anything. He's on like the halfway line. So I don't, I don't, I, don't, I didn't really understand it, but yeah. But then even after the red card before half time, it's not like we, we, we were as, as punishing and as clinical we were in the second half. I think Silver clearly said something at half time to him. He's like, well, we need to go for this. We go, go and try and score as many goals as you can tonight. And obviously that's what happened in the second half. But yeah, the red card pretty much killed any hope that Blackburn didn't really have in the first place. Yeah. Uh, and, and Jack, I felt like Blackburn in the second half went a little bit kamikaze. You see some of the defending, particularly for the third and fourth goals. I think it's Harry Wilson's first where it's only two Blackburn defenders back. It's a three on two, which is uh, one, one of them was poor old Ty Whedon, who um, had a bit of a horrible night all in all. It just felt like this was the perfect opportunities for Fulham to, to capitalise really on the counter. That third goal as well, the pass from Mitrovic. My yep. God, it's just sensational. Chef's kiss, isn't it? It's absolutely beautiful. Yeah, I mean, I was I was talking to Dean this morning when we came into studio and we were discussing it and obviously we were like, seven new a day. Um, but he was just like, what were Blackburn doing? Like, why, why did they keep coming? It, it's like one of those bizarre things that you think, okay, maybe not a two nil down, but at least, at the very least, at three nil down, you think with 10 men, we're probably not getting back into this one. Maybe we should try and make some damage limitation. We should try and just make sure that we see out the rest of this game. You know, try and, you know, if you dig in and make it hard for Fulham, I'm not saying that Fulham would have completely eased off, but I think there's a sense that three nil and it's comfortable and you're not having to work for it and you're not coming at them, there's a point that you probably go a little bit like, all right, let's not take the mick. But actually, the, the more that Blackburn came at Fulham, the more they were like, oh, you want it? Okay, fine, let's have it then. And, and that's kind of what happened. The whole game opened out because of it. And it's a really strange tactic to employ. You know, at two, I kind of get it. At three, four, five, and six, it's criminal. Like, and it gets worse by like a, a serious amount every single goal that goes in. <laughs> You know, at six nil down, if you're piling into the box, that's that's moronic. It's not. It's not. Oh, cool. The fans will like it if we have a go. It's moronic. And the Blackburn fans were visceral on Twitter last night. You, you know, do a quick search of the hashtag Rovers 
um, hashtag on on Twitter, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll let you know just how badly they thought that was. They were like, you know, it doesn't matter that we had 10 men and it's probably the best team in the league. You, you can't lose 7-0 at home. Like, it, it doesn't matter how bad, you know, how bad you are, how good they are. It's just not acceptable. And they're right, right? You know, the fact that they kept going and, and that Mowbray seemed to do nothing to try and stem that tide to kind of bring things a little bit calmer, to, 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 to allow them to maybe regroup a little bit at the back. Fulham took full advantage, but at points it felt like it was easy. And I read somewhere on a Blackburn forum that if they'd wanted 10, they could have had 10. Like yeah. it was, it, it felt like every time Fulham went forward, we were going to score. We passed up some chances. It's bizarre to think that whatever was going through those Blackburn players' heads in the, oh, maybe the fans will love it if we get a goal. I was like, I don't think so, mate. I don't think 7-1 is much of a saving grace. <laughs> like, it, it, and, and therefore, to sit in, tuck in at 3-0 and let the game play out in relative comfort, right? And just be like, look, you don't need to waste any more of your energy. We don't need to waste any more of our energy. Let's just basically got a sort of gentleman's agreement that we're going to put 10 men behind the ball here or nine men behind the ball. And, um, and, and you can just kind of play it around in front of us. But the way that they played implored Fulham to push forward and search for more. And, and find more. It was like a five-a-side game, like an amateur five-a-side game where, I mean, sadly, my five-a-side team has to do this quite a lot, where the other, you know, we, we, we lack the fitness and towards the end of the game, 99 times out of 100, we just let it go. Like, we haven't got the pace to get back. Other team just have a bit of a field day. It's tight at first and then it starts, it starts becoming a cricket score. Some of the like the passing was just from Blackburn was like, I think maybe for um, the fourth goal, like I think Cabano wins the ball back. Like, I mean, wasn't it was like, it was a really loose ball. It went to Seri, he lumps it forward and Mitrovic and um, Dekadova Reed and Wilson have another three on three and they just uh, cannot they take believe about their three luck. bites of the cherry to get there. You know, like the ball just keeps bouncing back to Fulham players. It's like clear your lines. Yeah. Um, let's come on to Rodrigo Muniz. I feel like, Peter, the last thing that you need um, when you're 5-0 down is this mad hungry Brazilian coming on who is desperate for goals to uh, to enter the pitch. Um I read your piece in the Athletic where Marco Silva said that he, you know, he took it badly. The penalty miss against Leeds, it was tough for him that moment, um, and that's why the players were all so delighted to see him get the uh, get the reward that his hard work has deserved. Um, Tim Ream um, weirdly tweeted in a Fulhamish thread. I don't really, we don't really know how it happened, but he tweeted saying how they're all just delighted for Mooney's. He doesn't speak much English, but the boys have really rallied behind him. Um, and they were really well taken goals as well, particularly the seventh, the header. It was a good cross from Anthony Robinson, but the header is a decent header. Um, and yeah, it was a, it was a literal nightmare, um, him coming on because it was, it's what turned it from, Oh, that's a big win to uh, on every Twitter account and back pages this morning. Yeah, I mean that you could just see the hunger when he came on. I think when he scored the sixth, his celebration. It just, he just. You imagine when you score the sixth goal in a game, it's a bit more low key. But I guess I mean Dom will have a much better view because it was in front of the away end. But from where I was, it just looked like he was absolutely pumped. Um, and I, as Silver sort of referred to as well, I guess you could, we we've sort of forgotten that Carabao Cup game as you would. I mean, it was just a run in the mill Carabao Cup, lost on penalties, fine. But for him, you know, a new new guy, new country, new language, everything, new new teammates. One of his first major contributions is to miss the key penalty in a shootout. Um, and I think that probably did affect him more than we may have considered. And um, when, when you're playing understudy to Alexander Mitrovic, you know, having, been, having arrived for a decent whack of money as well, you, know, it, it, you probably feel the pressure a little bit. You probably feel like, hold on, people are starting to doubt why I'm here. Um, I've got to um, you know, prove to people my... my my qualities. And, and we saw that, as you say, Sammy, I mean, both goals um, were, were real clinical finishes, um, penalty box finishes. I mean, we talked about what we sort of expected. I mean, there was so little to sort of go on, but from what people would say, it was that sort of inside the, the penalty area comes alive, give him a chance, he'll, he'll take it. And both of those goals reflected that strong for the, for both to outmuscle the defender to get around them. First one, the, 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 the prodded finish and then the header, as you say, so good getting in front of the, of his of his marker and it's a really good cross from Robinson as well. He does get a lot of criticism for his deliveries and he does deserve praise for that for that whip as well. Um, and 
that's that's probably one of the biggest encouragements for Fulham because you know we've talked about Mitrovic we, everyone talks about Mitrovic because his numbers are so good um but the fact that you know three players got a brace last night none of them were Mitrovic you know that's massively encouraging and the understudy comes in and, and, and bags two as well and, and that's in terms of perfect nights, it doesn't get much better than this. But in terms of where Fulham, where the question marks may lay, there were a few that were answered last night and Muniz was definitely one. Finally, Dom, just your view from that away end. 401 Fulham fans made it up to Blackburn on a Wednesday night. It was Good an arduous... Shift. Good shift. Great shift. If you went, great shift. I'm... I'm desperately sad that I wasn't there beforehand. Now I'm like, I would pay any money for a time machine so I could reconsider the job I do and just like hand in my notice everywhere so that I could have made Blackburn away on a Wednesday night. You were one of those people. You can always say I was there the day that Fulham scored seven away from home. As good as I think Fulham will be the rest of the season, I don't think it'll happen again ever I mean when's that ever going to happen again you must just be feeling like you witnessed something a little bit historic in terms of Fulham last night yeah it was it was sort of like it wasn't like I was getting bored of celebrating another goal but like, <laughs> it, it was just like I was I was more just laughing every time did you leave goal early no 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 actually I saw the goals yesterday because frankly I didn't score in the 50 wow. minutes half time so <laughs> Fulham are getting Fulham are getting quite good at doing that this season not scoring in the 15 in between 30 and 45 so and I'm seeing, I'm seeing most of the goals here, but yeah, it was sort of like it, the celebrations were sort of getting, I think, less and less. But then when Moon is scored, I think it sort of reunited people's <laughs> celebrations because I think, I think everyone wants Rodrigo Muniz to do well. I think there isn't anyone who's, you know, we, we've had backup strikers in the past or other strikers in the past, and the likes of Abubakar Kamara and Rui Font who have split opinions in the fan base. But I do what about think Zoro Syriac. Yeah, yeah, like go over Syriac as well. But like, I think everyone's behind Muniz. Everyone, everyone, everyone wants him to do well, especially obviously that, that penalty miss against Leeds United uh, in the Carabao Cup. But yeah, it was it was just crazy because like, obviously when we went like four, like well, oh, we might score five here if we're, if we're lucky, maybe six. But seeing a score seven goals is absolutely crazy. As as, as you said, I think what we only need probably like enough five or six more goals to double last season's goal tally already. And uh, it's only what the third of November or whenever it is. So. Yeah, it was it was it was it was just crazy just seeing all the goals, and it, it was great having like five of the seven goals at the end where the away fans were as well. That yeah. that, that 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 made it that made it even more special. And yeah, fair play to anyone who got up there yesterday. Was sometimes that the easiest place to get to on a Wednesday evening in Blackburn. Yeah. That was a hell of a schedule on that one. You know, when I guess there's always got to be one per season, hasn't there? That's just like the, oof, that's a well, bad it's, one. it's the first like Northern really midweek away game we've had this season because usually we, we would have a Forest or a Leeds in August. That August match day midweek is like seemingly reserved for Leeds United away, but obviously they're not in the uh, championship this season, so we didn't have to go. But yeah, it's the first like, I would say, Northern sort of midweek game, like away game that we've been able to go to, like that's been far away, probably since... Preston when we lost 2-1 under Scott Parker yeah. where I think Mitrovic got a late consolation goal that's the last one I can really remember but yeah it was yeah it was, it was it great was, but it was also, cold as well it was freezing cold it was pouring it was down so... rain that day um, no I meant last night was cold uh, not as cold what? as that Preston not as cold as that Preston mild, mild November night Sammy I don't know what you're on about no I've, I've definitely been cold at a football match it was it was cold but you know it's, compared to some other games some other games I've been at like Bolting away on that Tuesday night when there was like 110 Fulham fans there. That was that was that that was freezing cold. I think that was first first season back down uh, in, into the um, into the championship after we got relegated. But yeah, it was great being there. Great to see the, the numbers of people came up, and it wasn't just like Norman Fulham fans who'd come up. You know, it was a lot. There was a lot of people based down south. Uh, I met a couple of people who came down from um, Scotland for the game. Yeah, it was it was it was just great. It was just great. It's just great watching Fulham away from home this season. I honestly urge any everyone to try and get to as many home and away games as you can this season because it's just going to be one hell of a ride. Can we clear one thing up before we end, Sammy, on, on last night? Absolutely. Did Rodrigo Muniz do the Sean Davis dance? Because I think he does. No. I think Rodrigo Muniz, after he scores the first one, right, everyone hugs him, he's there for ages, and as he turns around to go back up, he does this little shuffle dance, right? And his arms are up, it's very like army. Now he is quite an army. Like obviously he's got lots of leg, but like he's quite. He has he has, arms. He's quite. A, he's quite a limb, limby guy, right? He has a lot of limb. Um, right. So like, I don't know if that's just the way he dances, but it looks susceptibly like, suspiciously like 
the Sean Davis dance. I don't know, Dom, like obviously you would have been in the away end. I don't know if you saw this where you were just under a cloud of mob, but it was, um, you know, it, it did feel like he might have pulled this off. I, so I've obviously seen the video that compares his dance to Sean Davis. Well done for whoever spotted him, put it together. It's wonderful. I can't believe it's not a coincidence. I just, I cannot think that Rodrigo Munoz... is the kind of character that someone would be like, ha, have you seen this? This happened once when Fulham <laughs> went to Blackburn. And he went, oh, I'm going to do that if I come on. <laughs> I would love it. I would love it if he's, if he's, if he's watched it or spoke to Sean Davis before and he's like, yeah, do, do this dance if you score evil tonight. But I mean, you know, you, the chant goes, who put the ball in the Blackburn net. Is, is he going to change from Sean Davis to half of effing Fulham? I mean, is, is, he, <laughs> is, is that what is that what a new chance going to be? I don't know, but yeah, I said as you mentioned, Sammy, like it was great to see loads of different people on the score sheet last night. As you said, Wilson, Cabana, and Moon is getting braces. Obviously, you know that's what I would say. We're not reliant on Mitrovic. Mitrovic is just going to score those amount of goals. And when you've got a striker like that, you're going to provide him with the service. But yeah, it's great to see the other players get on the score sheet. Obviously, Bobby Reed getting an assist as well. I think we, if you look at who's got either a goal or a assist for Fulham this season, I imagine the list is. Very, very high compared to what it has been in recent seasons. But yeah, it's great. It's good to see because we do, we do, we we expect we expect Wilson and we're expecting Cabano to to get to add more goals to their game. I'm not saying they haven't scored enough goals. I think Hey Wilson's got got five now. So you know, five goals and I think six assists so far this season in what's fifteen odd games. Obviously, when he was suspended, he missed a few. But yeah, it's it's great to see just other players get on the score sheet and yeah, it, it, what a night it was. And I'm definitely going to be one that's going to live long in the memory. I think. Jack, can I press it? I'd say no because we're not top of the league. But I mean, we've just won seven nils. Do you want? I did get a request in in my when one of my on the discussion page yesterday specifically for you to press the foghorn. But you know, I, I did pass it on. So I just said I'd, I'd asked a question. You know, I'm here we go. If we lose to Peterborough, it's your fault. No, I don't care. All aboard. I'm not pressing it again until we're top. That's that. I'll, I'll caveat that. What if I'm we not, win eight 0 at the weekend? Don't care. I'm not pressing it. That's it. We have to be top next time. Okay. I get so many tweets now, like sound the horn, Instagram DMs, everything. Like it's all I get. And no one else texts me for anything else other than like requests to play the horn. It's all I've become. <laughs> right. We're going to take a break there. Afterwards, we're going to discuss. I feel like I don't want to lower the mood, but we need to discuss it. Fabio Carvalho. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here, joined by Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. Peter Rutzler. Hello. Don Betts. Hello, hello. We've been nominated for an award. This is exciting. Fulhamish has been nominated for Fan Media of the Year at the Football Supporters Association Awards. Uh, The Athletic has also been nominated for uh, Outlet of the Year, I believe, as well. Um, But we need your votes if we're to win this, okay? To be honest, we could probably get every Fulham fan in Craven Cottage to vote for us and it still probably wouldn't be enough because we're up against Arse Blog from Arsenal, the Anfield Rat from Liverpool and True Faith from Newcastle. Um, but anyway, we're going to give it a go. So if you listen to this podcast, we'd really appreciate you giving us a vote. Um, the link is pretty much everywhere. It's on our Twitter. If you go to our website at fullamish.co.uk, there's a link on our website. If you go to the Football Supporters Association website, you'll find the link there. We're in category five. Give us a vote. We're going to try. I, I think this is the only time I've just, we're going to give it a go, see how far we can get. Um, even if it stops us being last in the vote, um, we'd really, really appreciate your support. I can't tell you how quick it is. It's literally 30 seconds. You don't need to sign up for anything. They're not going to get your email address or anything. Just go on the form, vote for Fulhamish, and we will love you forever. To be fair, I am a bit worried about Liverpool and Arsenal, but Newcastle can't buy a win, so I wouldn't worry too much about them. No, but I mean, they have got 300 billion, so you never know how many people they can buy now. And, and True Faith have been very nice to the Saudis. So, um, <laughs> we, we are up against stiff comp. We're up against two massive clubs and, and an, at a state yeah. <laughs> and Saudi Arabia. Um, so it's going to be a hard one for Fulhamish to win. Um, the Fulhamish away day is the most cringe title ever. I know we're basically going to the pub before the Peterborough game. We're going to Charters Bar. It's a boat. They serve real ale. If you're going to the Peterborough game, come along. We've booked a table. So who knows how well this will go. Um, That is all the Fulhamish admin for now. Please and thank you. Let's discuss Fabio Carvalho. Uh, It has been the disappointing news from the week, Peter, that he has turned down a new contract at Fulham. 
And it's something that maybe we saw coming. It's a complicated issue. We don't know if this means he is 100% going. He came off the subs bench last night and Marcus Silva talked about it after the match. He doesn't seem to think it's a completely done deal, but it is a blow. And it's a really, really difficult one for me. Part of me wants him to, you know, my instant reaction is, oh, that little kid never play for us again. But also I, I do totally appreciate that this is complicated and nuanced and it's a really, really difficult for everyone to get right. But it is bitterly disappointing. That's the main thing overall from a Fulham perspective. Yeah, it is disappointing and it's uh, something that's always going to be heightened um, considering the recent track record of of young players that just haven't stuck around, who have gone. And, and when you have an academy as uh, fruitful and productive as, as Fulham's, uh, which is punching well above its weight at youth level, um, you, you want to see more, more of the fruits of that labour uh, entering the first team. You want to see more of those players sticking around. Um, you're right, Fabio Carvalho's situation is complicated. Um, he has turned down that contract. Um, it felt quite uh, an important development because the sense I've got from the club side is that it's unlikely that there'll be an improved offer. Um, but um, there are other things going on behind the scenes with, with, with Fabio. I've, I've written about how um, he's changing his agent. He wasn't going to sign anything until that process is completed. He won't sign something with his current agent. He will wait until that 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 is changed and he's got new representation. Um, so the, nothing would have been signed anyway. Um, but uh, the state of play at the moment is not does not look positive. I asked Silver about it last night um, after the game. Um, I'll read out what, what he said um, because obviously the question has been whether he'd be involved. Um, you look back at the summer with, with the situation surrounding Angisa and Angisa wanted to go and he was taken out of the team uh, for the Middlesbrough game, then came back in um, once there was that sense he'd be committed. So obviously it's like, is Carvalho committed? And that's that's the first thing I want to say. Is he involved? And Silva said, yeah, he'll still be involved. I, don't, I haven't seen anything different in his behaviour. If he keeps showing to me that he's in the right condition, you know, physical condition um, and working hard, um, then he'll be involved. He then said, if you ask me if I'm happy about the situation around him, all the conversations, I'm not. I don't know what the people around him are advising him or not. For me, it is really strange because we're talking about a really young lad. I hope really they're taking care of him, not just for the moment, not just to do a big contract, but about the boy. He has to keep focused on his job, keep working hard. Uh, I repeat, I'm not happy with the situation and all these rumours around him because he is a young lad. To be honest, I really believe in his talent. He started to play for the club under me, but I would like the situation to be a different way. Uh, I would like the people taking care of his career to look for him, not just for the moment, just for something, not just for something special now, but for the future of the boy. And I think what's quite important to remember, considering what's gone on on social media, particularly the backlash that Carvalho's had, and it's understandable from how it looks at the moment. I think, from my understanding of the situation, that Carvalho is not necessarily in the easiest position now. It's, easy, it's, it's very difficult when you've got a Fulham hat on because you want him to sign. You want him to sign that contract. But right now, he's at a really critical point in his career. He's changing his agent behind the scenes. We know that. He's got, it's very difficult to know where to turn at this point. Um, could, he, could his career take off at another club? Potentially. Could it work at Fulham? I think it could definitely work at Fulham. I think most people do think that could happen. He's got a coach who's really behind him. He's been involved. But then you look at Fulham a couple of years ago um, when they got promoted to the Premier League and, and the number of players that come in. Are those opportunities going to be there? Now, is that going to happen going forward? Um, it's not a simple, straightforward answer. And it's, it's, it's a complicated one, but I think the, 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 the summary of what's happening at the moment is that it doesn't look positive at this point. The main thing I can't, can take from that silver quote is those lines where he said, I hope they're looking after the boy. I mean, I've, I've slightly paraphrased the quote there, but that to me seems like the clearest indication of Marco Silva not being massively happy with the people that are guiding Fabio. Now I'm putting words in Marco's mouth. Maybe he doesn't think that, but that's certainly what I get from that quote. And that's, that's concerning. That's, that's effectively a manager going like, I don't think this is right. Um, Jack, you wrote an article yesterday along those lines of what Peter was talking about, where you said that in defense of Fabio Carvalho, 
this is a really, really difficult move to get right. And of course, it's easy to list the examples of Fulham players who've been in this situation where it's gone wrong. I think the key example really is Patrick Roberts. Sessegnon is kind of an example, but I don't think it's a direct comparison given the amount of football that Sessegnon had already played. Patrick Roberts is the example really, was a hadn't really featured for us all that much in the championship, got the big move to Man City and and, and literally look at his career now. I couldn't even tell you what club. He's playing he's, for Troyes. Is France. he still, I mean, he's not even in the squad, is he? Uh, yeah, Troyes, I believe yeah. he is. Yeah. You mean Troyes, Jack, yeah? Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's who I mean, Dom. Yeah, the Troy. I think that's in Greece, mate. I'm sorry, um, but yeah, that was that you wrote about that, and and I. Well, I think I think there's another comparison that you can look at here, which is Harvey Elliott, right? If you, yes, you, that's if you what I look, mean. Yes, you're chuck, if you're going to chuck back to Patrick Roberts, I think you can chuck to Harvey Elliott. Um, yes, and someone exactly. called me out this and said you didn't mention Cessnion, and that's because I think Cessnion is a different case. I think Cessnion is a far. At a time where he left, and also Cessnion wasn't running out of a contract, right? When Cessnion signed, it was really early days in terms of when he was coming through. There wasn't all this furore around him. And then when you know when he left, then after that, there was a, a lot more football in the tank. This is a situation much more akin to Elliot or Roberts, as you say. And and look, I think you can look at those two situations and go, look, one's panned out and one hasn't, right? And and look, it's early in Harvey's career as well, but. You know, from what we've seen, he had a really went to Liverpool, had a really successful loan spell in the Championship. Sure, would he have been getting those minutes of Fulham in the Premier League? Absolutely not, but absolutely not, no chance whatsoever, considering the squad that we had last year and Harvey Elliott. Um, and then you go back to that, and he's come back into the Liverpool side this year and, and started to weasel his way into the first team. Now, look, there are obviously there's been a serious injury, and we don't know how this season would have panned out. It might have been two or three games. They decided he wasn't ready and shifted him back towards where he was. But I think for Fabio, exactly. I think with Fabio, the, the, the thing here is he, he's gonna, he, wants to, he needs to go somewhere where he feels that the pathway is clear, right? He needs to go somewhere where either there is a really obvious route into the first team or, and there's a history of, 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 of bringing young players into that first team, or he decides he's not staying at Fulham to move to a big club because he thinks that the playing or not playing, should we say, going PLT, going back into, into the training pitch, not necessarily featuring in the first team, somewhere else at City or Liverpool or Real Madrid or wherever that might be, is better than sitting on the bench and being in training for Fulham. And I, I don't know if I can begrudge him that. Considering the situations that we've seen before, let's look at Marek Rodak, right? Marek Rodak had been absolutely sensational for Fulham in the championship. He came in basically turned that season around in terms of how many we were conceding. He kept 14 clean sheets uh, in the season from when he came in to the end of the season. When you look at that, and, and then you go, right, we got to the, uh, the Premier League. Everyone was going, give him a chance, give him a chance. And he, and then Ariola's brought in. Now, Ariola was excellent, right? No one's doubting that Ariola is a world-class keeper and he's a better keeper than Marit Rodak. He might not be for the rest of his career, but at the moment, he is a better keeper than Marit Rodak and he saved Fulham a lot, a lot last year. There were a lot of moments where Fulham were incredibly grateful to Alphonse Ariola for bailing us out of trouble. But what it comes back to is if Fabio Carvalho is looking at that and going, right, Marit Rodak there is a, a player who was absolutely instrumental in Fulham being promoted. He's come from the academy. He's a homegrown. And he got, what, one game at the beginning and one game at the end, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah. Two games. Now, obviously, there's only one goalkeeper position, which does slightly skew it. Um, but I yeah, think you can't play a... left goalkeeper. Exactly. But there is, there's, there's plenty of evidence that Fulham are happy to discard players when we go up into the Premier League, Steffi Hansen, Kevin McDonald, the list goes on and on and on and on, right? Even Alexander Mitrovic last year, top scorer in the championship. How many, how many starts to get in the Premier League? And that's Alexander Mitrovic, you know, second vice captain of the club. And, you know, and he'll say, you'll point to Scott Parker and say, look, that was Parker, this is silver, it's different. And, and there's plenty of, you know, <laughs> there's plenty of arguments you can have. There, there was people saying, yeah, but Fabio Carvelio is a proven Premier League player. Is he? He scored one goal, made three appearances. I'm not quite sure for me that counts as a proven Premier League player. Um, but on, on the whole, I, I'd love Fabio to stay, right? But if he goes to somewhere, and, and from what I've kind of heard and the, the bits and bobs I've been uncovering, that it looks like the place he might end up is Southampton. And 
if he goes to Southampton and he's looking at that team and going, look at all these players, look at Livramento coming through, look at these players that have come in as young players and been given a chance by a, a well-respected coach in Ralph Hasenhutl playing in a t- team who are a regular, solid Premier League team. And that matters, not because of where they are, but because they're able to give youth a chance, right? They're able to bring young players through because they're in a comfortable position. And they are therefore not under the undue pressure of, oh God, we've got to stay up. Oh God, we've got to go up. Oh God, we've got to stay up. Oh God, we've got to go up every single time they're in a season. And that allows for players to break through and to make their mark. And, and I think we're seeing that with, with Livermento, with Broja, with a couple more across the sky, Will Smallbone a couple of years ago. This isn't new. And so if this is what happens and, and Fabio Carvalho goes to Southampton, of course I'll be sad. I'll be gutted because I think that Fabio Carvalho is a wonderful player and I'd love to see him make it at Fulham. But can I blame him for doing that? Absolutely no chance. I couldn't, I couldn't sit here in my heart of hearts and say, that's a bad move for your career, that Fabio. Because I think he'll get the opportunities there. And I think that there's much more stable climate in order to plant these young seeds. Tom? Uh, with Fabio Carvalho, it's an interesting one. Because obviously, I, I don't know if it's just because obviously with his Portuguese background, but I think I saw some people suggesting he might, he could, there might even be interest coming in from the Premier League. But like, with, with, if, if, if it is, if it, because his contract expires at the end of the season, right? Yeah. Like, if, if it's down to me, if a, t- if, a, if a team is willing to buy him out outright instead of getting him on a free transfer at, at the end and go to a tribunal, I wouldn't, I'm not against the idea of selling him in January because earlier on, go, coming back off the Blackpool defeat, I'd have been like, and and the Coventry defeat, I'd be like, no way, we need we need to keep him because he's he, we, we look so good when he was in the side. But I think in, from the QPR game onwards, so since the last international break, we've, we've shown that we... Because a lot of people were saying, oh, we, we don't have that creative number 10. And I think that we've, what we've seen from Bobby Reed, Ken, he's come back in stages. Um, I mean, I, I didn't realise until I played football manager the other day that Dimitris Kino is actually on loan with us. I totally forgot about <laughs> him even being part of the Fulham setup. But I think we've shown that we don't need him to go up this year. And if a team is willing to pay pay money for him in 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 January, and, and then I'm, I'm, I'm I'm happy for him to go. I don't want another Moussa Dembele situation where we get absolutely nothing for him. And then you go, and then, and then another player you can say is, Who's left Fulham, but has gone out? Obviously, he went to he went to Celtic, but then that got him a move to to Leon, and you know he's he he he's he's he plays for Leon, he scores goals for Leon, and he's playing you know in in Europa League in Europa League Champions League football each season. So I think that with Fabio Carvalho, I think Southampton would move if he's going to move to a Premier League team makes sense because you can see him playing. But for me, I think people do get over-attached to academy players as opposed to just random players at the club or, or all players who have been at the club for a certain amount of time. I mean, it, it, it's as annoying as it is that Fabio Cavalli is going to go. Jack mentioned it in his in his article that it, academy players aren't just there to go for players to play in your first team. The, like a lot of academies are there to create to create finances for the club and if we get money for him, even if it goes down to a tribunal and we, we got a decent amount for Harvey Elliott in, in, that, in that respect. So I think that it's... You, as Peter said, you, it, there's, there's, when you're looking at me with Fulham hat on, you'd love to stay at the club for another, you know, three, three or four seasons, play with us in the Premier League, and you know, steer us to surviving relegation and pushing on from there. But if you've got, you've got to look from the club's perspective as well. So I think, as annoying as it is, I don't think it's as devastating news as some people are making it out to be. I personally think that I don't think all is lost on this at all. I, I, I feel like we are reaping what we've sown in the last three or four years for being short-termists. We talked only a few weeks ago about what you must feel if you're Tyrese Francois and we bought it Nathaniel Chalabro on, on deadline day. I'd have been totally fine with Tyrese Francois as our kind of fifth, fourth choice midfielder. And he looked, he, he looked good in that cup game away at Birmingham yeah. as well. But you've, got but to, we, you've got to look at this. Uh, but we, brought in, position, we, brought right? in, we brought in Chalabro. And this is even as much as, you know, we talked about him earlier and I love him. Rodrigo Muniz, we brought him in, but we had Jay Stansfield. Jay Stansfield could have been our backup striker. If you want that pathway to be there, sometimes you have to go, actually, do we sign that player? We potentially risk undermining our youth system for these short-term signings. Now, each one on their own always makes sense. It makes sense for us to sign a player like Nathaniel Chalabar, particularly when we got him so cheap. He's extra cover in an in a, in a brilliant team. And, and if Harrison Reed or Seri picks up an injury or Seri has to go to AFCON, we've got a player like Chalabar in there in reserve. Fantastic. Fantastic, But if that completely undermines, that's potentially leading to the situation that we see now 
with yeah. Carvalho. That's, but then that's... do we need to temper our expectations, Sammy? Because Marco Silva has come in with a mandate of get full and promoted, right? Whatever happens, you have to get full and promoted. Now, if John Mikel Seri has to drop out to go to AFCON, I, I, I laughed for a minute ago because I thought you said that Harrison Reed had to go to AFCON. Um, and then no, you, you never know. know. You do never know. You never know at all. Never um, know where someone's heritage is. <laughs> you look like, you know, if, if, if Seri, you know, heads off to AFCON, if Mitrovic gets a long term injury and suddenly you're relying on youngsters, right? Yes, obviously there are mitigating circumstances there for a manager. But are the board going to look at that and be like, oh, well, he couldn't cope because the squad wasn't deep enough. They're not. They're just going to be like, Marco Silva failed in his objectives. He's got to go, right? That, that, that's ultimately what's going to happen. So as fans, do we need to temper our expectations of promotion or survival every time we're doing something in order to open these pathways? Because ultimately, we would all say that if this Fulham side didn't get promoted, okay, take this even before Fulham sign, Mooney's, Chalobah, Keener on deadline day, the expectation was Fulham get promoted, potentially in, in top spot, right? So if the big players get long-term injuries there, do Fulham fans adapt their expectations? I don't think so. I think Fulham are still expected to go up. And, and therefore, does it all come back to what we're looking for in a club day in, day out? Because I think there's a, and this goes back to what I was saying about Southampton being stable in the Premier League, right? There is a culture there because of where they are and where they are as a club at the moment that allows them to bring young players through and people will be like, okay, they're going to make the odd mistake. Like things happen with young players. That's, that's what happened. But you look at the likes of Stevie Sessegnon. Now, I'm not saying Stevie Sessegnon was, was good enough or not good enough, right? But there was a period where he made a mistake in that game against Nottingham Forest and he was dropped, right? That was it. That was the last we saw of Stevie Sessegnon. Made a mistake. And that's because the pressure on these players is so, and the managers who picked them, is so high because of what we expect from them every season that there isn't really room for mistakes. But if you're bringing through young players, you have to have room for that. And it makes it quite difficult to kind of sow those seeds. I don't know if it's for fans to temper their expectations. It's just, we're just, we are unfortunately in this bracket of yo-yo clubs where it's really, really difficult to get yourself stable. But I, I still think that if Fulham continue to play Fab, should continue to play Fabio Carvalho this season. I don't see the reason not. He's a quality player. He will add to us and potentially will help get us closer. It'll also to, be a higher tribunal fee. Yeah, and get us closer to promotion. And if Fabio Carvalho is part of that team that takes us up and then he has to reevaluate in the summer with his brand new agent and at that moment he's like, okay, now I'm going to decide clubs. Oh, I reckon there's a pretty good chance he thinks actually maybe that maybe this is a good time to stay at Fulham. I'm established in the first team and I could be starting as a number 10 in the Premier League next year. He doesn't necessarily start for Southampton next year in the Prem. He doesn't necessarily start for whatever club he goes to. But if he's part of our team, he's in our setup, Marco Silva's our manager next year, then I think not all is lost. That was what I wanted to come on to. Peter? I agree. With, I thought Jack outlined it really, really well, elaborated what, what I was saying before and... Um, the only thing I want to add about Carvalho is uh, from what I hear about him as a person, he's a really humble kid. He's a good kid. Um, <laughs> he's someone who's really invested, particularly in his teammates, those he's come up through the academy with. I went to the under-23s game earlier this week uh, after Silver's pre-Blackburn presser and um, sitting in the stands uh, just to the right of us, away from where the us hoi polloi are, um, was, was Fabio Carvalho. You know, I've, I've seen him there before at the 23s games. He's always going down and watching them. He's invested in the club. He likes the club. Like, you know, he likes working with Marco Silva. These these aren't, like, questionable things. There's, there's not uh, a question mark about him having a inflated ego or anything like that. It's, that's not the situation. So I think it's important that that's out there because the natural assumption is that it's all about, you know, our... Uh, chasing money and whatever. I don't think that's the case. I, I really don't think that's the case. It's as Jack outlined. There are some really important questions he's got to look at now for his career. And the answers are not clear cut, as clear cut as we think they are. And uh, while, you know, I, the situation doesn't look great, I, I'm, I'm, I'm like you, Sammy, I don't rule out things changing because things change very quickly. And we don't know the f complete full picture, what, what really is the motivations going on. So um, the, I, I wouldn't rule anything out is what I'd say. But, you know, as Jack, Jack, Jack alluded to, it's, it's not straightforward and, and right now it doesn't look great. No, indeed. Well, look, um, I guess from my perspective, I just hope that 
whilst I definitely don't doubt Fabio Carvalho's credentials, I just hope that those that are looking after him and advising him are as worthy and wholesome as, as Fabio seems to be. And um, I, I, I think any criticism of Fabio himself is probably misguided. I think I imagine it's those guiding him. And look, as Jack maybe alludes to, maybe they're advising him correctly. We don't know. My hunch is though, in football, it's not a it's not a very pretty game. And and quite often those people that are advising people of, of Fabio's age are are questionable to say the least. So fingers crossed he gets the right advice and he comes to the right decision for him. That's the most important thing, right? He comes to the right decision for him. And if the club can get in some way compensated, um, then then all the better. Right, we're gonna take another break and then we're gonna look ahead to Peterborough on Saturday. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy James here with Jack Collins, Peter Rutzler and Dom Betts. The, the away days continue on Saturday. We're up to Peterborough, a much simpler one to get to. And it's a run of three games in a row, which on paper, on paper, look good for Fulham. They're all in the bottom five of the league. We face Peterborough, then we face Barnsley, and then we face bottom of the table Derby. Although if Derby hadn't had their points deduction, they would not be bottom. But still, winnable games, you could argue for Fulham. Uh, A promoted side, Peterborough, uh, certainly the first time I can remember uh, heading to what's now known as the Western Home Stadium, previously known as as London Road. They've got some dangerous players up front. Johnson, Clark, Harris, Shakiri Dembele is someone that has felt perennially linked um, to Fulham in in, in some way or form. Um, But they have had uh, a tough season. They drew with Huddersfield at home on Tuesday. Uh, They did pick a couple of victories up in a a row um, at the end of October against Hull and Queen's Park Rangers. Um, They've conceded, though, the most amount of goals in the division. Uh, They're obviously facing Fulham, who have scored the most. So, Jack, what's your money on nil-nil on Saturday? Oh, yeah. I mean, every time we get one of these really good things happening, they they seem to fall apart, right? But yeah, you're right. Um, they've they've had a bit of an indifferent start would be my my take on it. There's some good players in this side, man. Um, there, there really are. Sammy Schmodix, I, I really like. Tariki Dembele, as you say, a really good player. Jack Marriott's gone back there. Obviously, this is the club he came through at. Um, so he's got a point to prove as well. And Johnson Clark-Harris, if I'm not mistaken, is just back from this ban. Um, so he's going to be angry. Um, you'd imagine. But yeah, oh, look, they're there to be got at still. Uh, and I don't think anyone would would kind of d- d- debate that. Even even the most ardent Peterborough fan is, is, will tell you that this defence has been leaky at best um, and, and awful at worst, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, that, that said, it's the championship, right? I'm not going to make any mad predictions at this point. Um, it would be very Fulhamish to, to win 7-0 away at Blackburn and then lose 1-0 uh, to Peterborough United, who are on paper a much easier fixture. Um, so, yeah, look, we've just got to uh, keep feet on the ground. As Mark, look, a lot of what Marcus Silva said yesterday, right? It's about, yeah, yes, we scored seven, it's still three points. Like, at the end of the day, that's all it is. And you need to get three more this weekend um, and keep the pressure on Bournemouth, who obviously uh, lost yesterday for the first time, which was which was also nice to see, as, as Wednesdays go, if Carling did Wednesdays. Um, but on the whole, look, this is this is a game that Fulham should win. And it really is as simple as that. Fulham should be able to beat Peterborough United. Um, as we know, football isn't sadly not played on paper. We'd have already been promoted. So, um, so yeah, look, there, there are some dangerous players here. We've got to keep an eye on them. Um, it's not going to be an easy game in terms of defence. And look, Sariki Dembele in particular is quick. He's tricky. Um, it's, it's a real test for, for Hector and Reem in particular, I think, who probably would, would prefer a little bit of more the aerial duel that they got they got a little bit of um, in the start of the Blackburn game before everything became one-way traffic. So uh, a different test uh, and one that we'll we'll have to get through. Yeah. Um, Dom, I guess there is not a danger, but Peterborough's team, Peterborough will have seen the result last night. They'll know their own defensive record and they will be looking at Saturday's game thinking, ah, um, how do we stop Fulham? And I feel like there will be double the effort from Peterborough just to keep us at bay. And I guess my worry is that Fulham start getting frustrated that not every game can go as swimmingly as it has in the last five. There has to be a point at which Fulham stop scoring four goals per game. I don't necessarily think Peterborough are that team, but sooner rather than later, we're going to come up against a side. This is, you know, it's a, it's a tight little ground. It will be, 
you know, a lot of fans there. It'll be close to the pitch. It's the kind of game that if you don't get an early couple of goals, can slip away from you, get tougher and tougher and tougher, and actually Fulham find it difficult. That is, it, do, it does, it doesn't feel Fulhamish that this will happen on Saturday. It feels footballish because this, it, I swear every time you get a big win, your next game, even if it's a on paper easier team, will just naturally work double as hard to stop you. Yeah, and you mentioned Peter, you know, about not putting them to the sword, basically. That's what QPR found when they went there. They ended up taking the lead that game and then they kind of way of nothing. I think it was a Dembele, like 93rd minute goal in the, in, the, in the end for that game. But yeah, it's, it's not like it's potential banana skin in that sense, but it is. You, you, the, 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 the Peter players are going to up their game, especially what they've seen this month from us. You know, I think, was it 19 or 20 goals since the last international break we've scored and the only goal we conceded was the one against QPR from Lyndon Dyke. So that will happen, but at the moment... Um, Peterborough can't buy a clean sheet at the moment, so you'd hope we we aren't we we aren't going to be the team they keep, they give a clean sheet against. And yeah, I think and I think the the, the, the players are enjoying this football. They're not. They're, it's not like under Scott Parker and even under Slavica Jakanovic at times where they sort of took the took the foot off the gas where when they went two 0 up or or, two, or or three goals up. They they always are wanting to score more and more goals. And I think I don't think that's going to change on Saturday. I mean, it's, it's, it's it'll be a good it'll be a great day for all the Fulham fans who are going. I believe it's our first time since we played them in 1992, I think. I think it's what I saw. That's the last time we played away to Peter. I think we ended up losing that day. We're back in the old Division 3. So, yeah, there's going to be three or 4,000 Fulham fans up there enjoying enjoy, enjoy, enjoy a way out of Peterborough before the last international break of the year. Yeah, it, sh- it, sh- it should be a good day. And, yeah, it, because of the amount of Fulham fans going, I think that's really going to spur these players on to put performance on for the fans who couldn't make it to Blackburn on Wednesday as well. Yeah, um, this is going to make some people listening feel really old. But the last time we went to Peterborough was 20 days before I was born on the 11th of January 1992. So I'm really sorry if that makes you, if you were there and that makes you feel old. Um, Peter, with regards to the lineup for Fulham, um, I imagine we'll see Hector in, uh, at the back again. We didn't mention him in the uh, in the Blackburn analysis. There's a few too many goals to focus on rather than the defence. I'd be surprised if there are any changes, really. Maybe. I mean, Tete still not managed to get back in the side. I, I meant to ask this. Is this because you know, Doyle's not really putting a foot wrong? Is it? Is, is Marcus Silva running that kind of operation here? It doesn't matter your ability. Until Doyle loses his place, he doesn't lose his place. He's a set-play asset. That's what Dennis Doyle is. No, he is testament to how, how good he's been, um, Dennis. Um, in, in a team that you, do, you don't really change a team that's keeping clean sheets. Uh, unless it's enforced. So I guess that that's really the thinking. And to be honest, you know, considering the discussions we've had about Kenny Tetta coming straight back into the team, the fact that Dennis has been able to keep him out the way he has is is yeah, is really, really impressive. Um, there's always that question that you can, that the teams focus on that left-hand side. I think uh, on the right, sorry, Blackburn did it a little bit early in the game, but he, he, he's dealt with it in the main. And, and I guess it is that rotation point. But in terms of the lineup, I, I thought there would be changes um, last night, uh, in, particularly in midfield. Um, I, I don't know if Jean-Michel Serri, for instance, can do three in a week, but he did go off early. That's the beauty of when you're winning uh, as comfortably as Fulham are at the moment. Um, there are options in there. Tom Kearney will be looking to get more minutes as well. I imagine potentially there could be scope for a change in there. We've talked about that balance between Serri and Kearney. So if there's a change to be done there, it might be there. But it does seem quite a nice balance at the moment. Reed, Serri, uh, and Deckard over Reed, who's been in excellent form, who we talked about. So it, it's difficult for those who aren't who aren't playing to, to come back into the fold. But the only question mark I'd have is is about fitness and rotation, and um, and if there aren't any other knocks from the game, then that would probably be the only thing in in the thinking. I guess Marcus Silva might be wary because he made quite a lot of changes the last time we had a Wednesday to Saturday kind of changeover, which was the Swansea into the Coventry game. He re- he rested a few players for the Coventry game. He rested Seri and, and we all know what the consequence was there. So I think he, I wonder if he feels like he had his fingers burnt on that rotation exercise there. Anyway, we will see what happens on Saturday at Peterborough. If you're going, Charters Bar, come along for a pint of real ale and to see if Farrell has you're not messed selling up the this well. <laughs> but you're just like, there's only real ale. There's a 
Not a great set. I imagine they serve all sorts of beers. It's on a boat, okay? It's on a boat. It's near the ground. We have a table. If Farrell, you just keep mentioning one. real L. I mean, I, I obviously can't be there at the at the weekend. But if if I could, you you would not be selling this to me. I'd be like, can I just get a pint of Guinness, please? Because I'm not having that good a time with you selling me like bizarre milkshake flavored IPAs. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm sure all right, they sell thanks. normal stuff. I just look. I don't I, know, mate. Look, you're just you haven't mentioned it. All you keep mentioning is real ale. I'm just trying to get everyone to come for you. You know what I mean? Because I was given about three key words by Farrell, which was boat near the ground and real ale. That's yeah, but all I, I was think Farrell's idea of what a good away day is is very different to what most people's idea of a good away day is. <laughs> a boat and real ale would neither feature yeah, in I my list of things I'm after. Very different to mine and Jack's. <laughs> Well, look, I'm more in the Farrell camp, although I'm not massively a fan of real ale either. But the boat aspect is actually genuinely get, getting me excited. When we went to Bristol, me and my brother got lost and ended up down in a dockyard. So um, so th- we, I've done enough boats on away days, I think, for a little while. Well, you're not coming. So, But if you are coming, come, come see me on my boat, OK? The charter's your boat now. It's your boat now, is it? Yeah, right? I've, te- I've commandeered the boat. <laughs> look, I've got the foghorn. All right, I'm allowed to commandeer the boat. All right, mate. Thanks very much to my guest, Jack Collins. <laughs> Thank you, Sammy. <laughs> We're going Rover and Route, presumably, is the pod name. Oh, absolutely. No doubt about yeah, it. Rover yeah. and Route. Well done. Peter Rutzer, thank you. No, thank you, Sammy. And Don Betts, thank you. No worries, mate. I feel like maybe the podcast on Sunday might be like normal service resumed. I feel like the last two have been extremely excitable and giddy because we smashed West Brom and then scored seven past Blackburn. Um, I don't want it to be normal service resumed. Maybe we get 10 on on Saturday and I get even giddier, but most likely it's going to be a little bit more routine. But thank you very much for listening anyway and hope you enjoyed. Potentially see you at Peterborough on Saturday, but most importantly, let's hope we can get another plus three on the board. Come on, you whites. You whites. Sammy James, one horny man.